following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. My name is Sean. Some of you know me, some of you don't. I work with uh, Pastor Tim closely at FCF, which is the outreach branch of this church. And he's away, so he asked me to share this morning. And as I was preparing, I saw something on the Internet that wasn't very encouraging about the results of sessions like this. It says, A common weakness of many presentations is that a month, a week, or even a day after the presentation, no one remembers what it was about. Or if they do remember something about it, they're not doing anything differently than they were before the presentation. Research has shown that 24 hours after hearing a presentation, the listener will forget at least 50% of all the information presented. In a 24 more hours, another 50% will be forgotten. That means in a mere 48 hours upon, after hearing a presentation, no matter how attentive the listener is trying to be, and no matter how cool the PowerPoint presentation is, which I don't have, um, and how good of a note taker you are, you'll forget about 75% of everything said. So that makes you wonder why churches use preaching as the number one method of imparting knowledge to people. But anyway, that's not um, the point today. Therefore, for your presentation to be effective, you must actively work to make it memorable, actionable, and transferable. Now, the reason I brought that up is not about what I'm going to say, but as I was preparing for this uh, passage that we're going to talk about today, I saw the genius of Jesus' teaching and how what he said was not forgotten but made an immediate impact in the lives of the people who heard it all the way until today. And they're simple stories that all of you know, and they're in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you can open with me. I'm sure you guys all know these stories very well. First, I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 to 2, because whenever you want to think about a story or something someone is sharing, you want to look at the audience, because the audience is very important. Normally, I speak in Thai churches, and work with Thai churches, and the things I would communicate might be different than I would communicate here because it's a different audience. Well, let's look at Jesus' audience in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, which is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here is a combination of odd, uh, an odd audience. First, you have tax collectors and sinners, and then you have Pharisees and teachers of the law. There's another group there, too, which isn't mentioned, which is the disciples. And we're going to talk about all three groups today. But these groups don't have the same agenda. They don't have the same focus. They don't have the same reason to be around Jesus. But the stories that Jesus tells in this passage fit with each person in that audience. And that's what's amazing to me with these stories. So we'll look at the details of these people in a minute, but let's read through the rest of the passage. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. Um, and if you, you guys already know these stories, so if you just want to reflect and pretend that you're there with Jesus at this time, um, you might picture yourself as one of the disciples, one of the Pharisees, one of the tax collectors you can pick, and then think about how this, uh, this story would have touched your life. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him, safe, his, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So these stories were told in the context of the audience that Jesus was talking to. And it's interesting because when we, a lot of times when I was growing up hearing sermons, hearing Bible teaching, we always malign the Pharisees. They don't, they're not good because they don't love the sinners. But we have to think about who these sinners were. They weren't the guy who went and stole somebody's donkey. Those guys were captured by Roman soldiers and put in jail or whatever happened to them. These are guys who were sinners but were living well off their sin. Corrupt people, corrupt officials, tax collectors. Today we might think in terms of human traffickers, uh, people who sell illegal things in order to make a profit for themselves, exploit the poor. That's, and, and Jesus was there, but those Pharisees and teachers of the law knew the faces of these men and maybe women, and they knew their story. So they're not just saying, oh, these are sinners, like in a general throw it out there. They were talking about people they knew and people they had seen sin who, who in their minds were really bad. And they, they didn't have a problem with Jesus preaching to the sinners. They had a problem because he hung out with them and ate with them. In other words, they were, there was fellowship and friendship going on between Jesus and the sinners, and they just couldn't make that gel with, them, with their own minds. But Jesus' story was not just for the Pharisees. 
I believe it was for everyone there. So how would this story come across to the tax collectors and sinners who were right there around Jesus as he told this story? Well, in the story, we, we see someone squandering money. But if you look at the progression, you see that basically the younger son has three sins. He lives apart from the father. So he left the father's home and went somewhere else. He abandoned the father. He lives in a way that dishonors the father and he misuses and squanders the resources the father gave him. Now, how he does that, there's a variety of ways you could choose to do that. But basically, that's what he did against the father. He said, Dad, I don't care about you anymore. I'm, I'm taken off. And I'm taking this, the money, the hard-earned money you have, and I'm going to use it however I want. I'm going to live in a way in this far country that you would never approve of at home, but I'm going to do it just because I want to do it. Now, the crowd of tax collectors and sinners that were around Jesus were not Gentiles. They were not people who had never heard about the law. Jesus was talking to Jewish sinners. And they, though they were living in sin, they would have been able to hear the law of Moses growing up in various ways. And so they were aware that they were not living up to God's standards. Something about Jesus attracted them to come hear him. But he was still telling them, this is what you've done. This is who you are. This is how you've treated God, treated the Father. The first two parables about the sheep and the coin... They're a little different because what they, they do is establish the value of the sinner. He's, Jesus is saying, you, if you had sheep and one got lost, wouldn't you go find it? Or, you know, a lady in your community loses one of her precious coins. Wouldn't she go look for it? So it's, a, it's establishing the value of the sinner in God's eyes. But the third story tells you how bad the sinners are. <laughs> and this is where the rubber hits the road with us in the audience. We're part of the audience today. Because a lot of times when, when I, I think of this, I think, oh, I'm not the younger son. You know, I've come to Jesus already. But sometimes we can be with Jesus and still have the younger son's mentality a little bit in our lives. We can still be living apart from the Father in what we're doing. And we can, we can be finding pleasure and finding our happiness somewhere else. We can still live in a way that dishonors the Father. And we can still misuse and squander the resources that God has given us. I don't know if there were any thieves in, um, with Jesus that day. And you wonder, what could, what could a thief squander? Well, we all are given intelligence, right? And you know, a good thief that's still not caught, you have to give them credit for being pretty smart. Unlike this one that I, that, that I read about, um, where it talked about a guy who was a, um, a 25-year-old guy named Marshall George Cummings. In, of Tulsa, Oklahoma, true story, was charged with attempted robbery in connection with a purse snatching at a shopping center in 1976. During the trial, uh, for, in the following January, he chose to act as his own attorney. And so, while, and while cross-examining the victim, he asked, did you get a good look at my face when I took your purse? He later turned over his defense to a public defender, but it was too late. He was convicted and sentenced to two, 10 years in prison. That guy probably wasn't there that kind of thief was probably not hanging around jesus that day anybody hanging around jesus had outwitted the roman authorities had had figured out how to outwit the jewish leaders who hated them the pharisees and was living well but as a known sinner so these are guys with some intelligence and they use that intel they use that intelligence to do evil they squandered that that ability god gave them if there were uh prostitutes or people who sold their bodies there they squandered what god gave them which is their body to be used for holy and righteous things, they used it for the wrong thing. So there's a squandering of what God has given us. 
So the younger sons, whatever their exact sin was, they had this in common. They lived apart from the father. They lived in a way that dishonored the father. And they misused and squandered the resources that they received from the father. Now, Jesus then tells the path of what happens to them. So first, the first stage is you enjoy the wonderful fruits and pleasures of all that sin that you're doing. And this young guy did. He had a great time until the money ran out. He was just on adrenaline and on a rush and having such a great time. But there was a day of reckoning. A combination of consequences of his own choices where his money ran out and a famine that he couldn't control came together and brought him to a point of decision. And I believe that this was a warning that Jesus was giving to the crowd of tax collectors and sinners standing there telling them that one day they're going to come to that point. And when they, and it might be that day that they were with Jesus, that they were there listening to him. And what happens well, if they want to be restored or to be renewed, what is the path that they had to do? Well, we see in that prodigal son story, first they have to become aware of the truth of the situation. It says he came to his senses. It's almost like he was in a, a lulled dream state before that, not aware of what was going on. But that day when he was with the pigs and he was hungry and the pigs were eating and he wasn't, and pigs were disgusting to Jewish people, so Jesus used that animal on purpose. <laughs> um, he, he came to his senses. He became aware of the truth of his own situation, and he also became aware of the truth of his father's house. Before, it was a place he wanted to get out of. It was a place he hated for whatever reason. It doesn't say. But now, it looks so much more attractive than it did before. So he became aware. The second stage, once he became aware of the truth, he had to make a choice. He had to make a choice whether to be proud and stay where he was or to humble himself and go home. I'm, you know, you, you think that would be an easy choice, but I know in my case when I make mistakes, it is not easy to admit I made mistakes. It's not easy to say I'm sorry. And he knows what state he would be going back into his father. He's, and he knows how good his father is. He knows what the comparison will look like when he goes back. The beautiful holy, righteous, you know, wonderful dad, and here he is dirty, having fed pigs, hungry, nothing to offer except service. And if you're not willing to humble yourself, you're not going to be able to do that. And unfortunately, many people that are like the younger son never do repent, even if they're aware of the opportunity to repent. But after you choose to be with the father, that wasn't enough. It wasn't just, okay, I'll go home now. But what did, he, what did he say he was going to do when he went home? He was going to confess his sin. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He, w- he acknowledged that he had sinned. And then he submitted to the authority of the Father. And this is, this is where I think a lot of times in our evangelism efforts today, we're a little bit weak. We get people to be aware of who God is and what their sin is, and we, we try to persuade them to choose God. And we get them to confess their sins, but sometimes we don't lead them to the point or bring them to the point where they submit to the authority of God. Because when he went back home, he was ready to be a servant. He wasn't ready to exercise his free will and tell the Father what he should be doing, but he was prepared to be a servant. So he recognized the Father's authority when he went back home. And I think that's an important thing that he had to do. Some, some people wonder, why in this story did the Father not go out and bring the Son home? Well, you know, in the parable of the lost sheep, the, the shepherd goes out and brings the sheep home. But here, the father doesn't. And I think it's because this was a willful departure, and so it had to be a willful return. 
Uh, the, the father could have gone there and told him, you know, it's so great back at home. We've got all, you, you just look at this place you're in. I've got, your, your room is ready for you. But the heart would not have changed. And once the circumstances got good again, it would be easy for the younger son to go back in his habit of thinking that he was the, the authority of his life. So he was submitted to the authority of the father in his heart first. And then when he actually got there. And then the last stage is joining in the activities of the father. He didn't know what those activities were going to be. He thought he was going to be a servant. Turns out he got to be the, the, the guest of a big party. But the father decided the activities, said this is what we're going to do, and the younger son joined in. So those are the steps. And I believe for the audience that Jesus had, the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus was telling them, you've come to hear me today. You're hanging around me. And I love to have you here, but these, this is where you need to be going. You need to be aware of your sin and, and aware of, of, of what's available to you through me. You need to choose to be with me. You need to confess your sin and accept my authority. And then join in my activities. Because when Jesus called people, he always called them to do something. So uh, this was an interesting impact it may have had on the lives of those sinners. And I'm sure some of them heard that and said, no way. But perhaps there were those that were like Zacchaeus, which we see a few chapters later, that when he had that invitation, it changed his life. And he did exactly those things. Zacchaeus, once he met Jesus, he became aware of the opportunity he had for salvation. He chose to come down from the tree to see Jesus. He confessed what he had done. And then he submitted to Jesus' authority by making restitution for what he had done wrong. And Evidently, he must have joined in the activities of Jesus because his name is there in the Gospels. Somebody still knew about him when they wrote the Gospels. So that's the first group. So that's a pretty powerful story already. You, if, if, you know, if only half of you in here were impacted strongly by what I said today, I'd probably be happy as a speaker. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, today, we don't expect everybody to get something out of, the, out of the message of the story, but if a big group comes away with something, that's good. But Jesus had a big, important message for the next group, which is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, who are these guys? Well, the Pharisees were not the leaders of the temple. They were not the religious establishment that, was, that had the money and the power. These were the crusaders for theology and moral virtue in their society. If they were around today, they would have a conservative talk show for sure. And they would be talking about all the problems in society and all the problems in corrupt religion, and they have the straight and narrow way to go. And everything they said, pretty much Jesus said at one point, do what they say, but don't do what they do. They spoke the right thing. They said, do this and do that. But they were there to find opportunity to criticize Jesus. And they especially wanted to criticize Jesus for hanging out with sinners. So the story of the prodigal son includes them in it because there's an older son as well. Now, what's wrong with the older son? What's his problem? Well, Again, what he did, working in the fields was fine, coming in from the fields was fine, but his problem was, first of all, he didn't respect his father. How do we know he didn't respect his father? His father is in an important party in the seat of honor with all of his important friends there, and the older son refuses to go in. The father has to leave where he is and go out and talk to the son on the outside and persuade him to come in. That is extremely disrespectful in that society. And then he had the audacity to say, I've never disobeyed anything you told me to do, while he was disobeying it right then by not going into the room. So he was kind of confused in his own mind about what obedience was, but the problem inside is he didn't love or respect the Father. Second problem, he would not extend mercy or grace to others. He was not happy to see his younger brother come home. In fact, I could, I could kind of understand that, because remember, the Father divided the wealth between the two sons, 
And so whose who's part of the wealth is paying for the fatted calf? Whose part of the wealth is paying for that robe and the ring? It's his. And did the father ask him for permission to use his half of the wealth before he used it for that son? No, he didn't. Well, that's really irritating. That's mine. And sometimes I have that attitude in my heart about things. But he was not willing to extend any grace or any mercy because to him, here's the rules, I've done the rules, you haven't, and so you deserve to be punished and I deserve to get the rewards. And in fact, Dad, how come you never even killed a goat for me? You never had a party for me. And and that takes us to the third one, the angry and bitter when he didn't agree with the Father. Now, a lot of us that come to Christ, we're with Jesus, but sometimes the the attitudes of the older son still are there in our hearts a, a little bit, or maybe a lot. Sometimes we serve, but we're not serving because we love the Father. We have these same words. I've slaved for you all these years, and yet you haven't rewarded me. Here I am a missionary, and my support's going down, and I'm working so hard, how come you're not rewarding me? Or I've worked really hard, and this guy has all these results, and I don't have these results, how come you're not rewarding me? A lot of times we have that same attitude about God. We're trying to tell him what he should be doing for us. So that's a sign that that we don't fully love and respect the Father's decisions. Um, And sometimes we don't extend grace and mercy to others, just like this guy. So... Here's the older son's problem, and Jesus is pointing that directly at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and saying, that's you. And I think they were smart. They were bright, and they knew they were being picked on in the story. And I'm sure they were really irritated about it. But what was the, if they wanted to come back, back to a close relationship with the father, what did the older son have to do? The story doesn't say if he did or didn't. You know, the story is cool because it leaves him outside. With the father, what's next? And we don't know. Why is that? Because... They had to decide that day what they were going to do. And Jesus wanted them to make that decision. But what would the path be? Well, first, they have to be the same as the younger son. They have to become aware of the truth. They have to be aware of their arrogance. They have to be aware of their lack of love and respect for the Father. And they have to be aware of the Father's love for them. The Father came out to bring him in. He was also going to be ushered into the feast. They have to be aware. They have to choose to be with the Father. The older son chose to be outside. He needed to choose to be with the Father. He would need to confess his sin. Father, I'm sorry for bringing disrespect for you today by by not honoring your wishes. Submit to the authority of the Father and then join in the activities of the Father. So the path back is the same for both guys. Jesus' parable puts prostitutes and tax collectors on equal footing with religious teachers and, and moral experts. And that is really irritating. Especially when you've tried your whole life to elevate yourself above the riffraff and to have this stellar reputation that everyone looks at oh what a righteous man oh what a holy man and jesus in the middle of the crowd not privately tells you in front of the tax collectors you guys are the same and i'm sure that was very difficult i'm thinking of myself being there and i would have a hard time with that you know i i I think i'm better than a human trafficker but jesus doesn't think so until either one of us comes back to the Father, comes back to Him, and that's when we restore our value. Now, there was another group in the audience, the disciples. And I wonder what they were thinking. Well, I don't know for sure, but I I feel like this story defines, explains, and illustrates some things they had heard already that now tells them what it really means. I think that this story defines what when Jesus called them originally and said, come to me and I'll make you fishers of men. You know, what does that mean? sitting on the lake with your fishing pole and oh this is fun and whenever somebody happens to come in the door oh, come on in 
But this, these stories don't talk about that. It's active seeking, active waiting, hugging dirty people, hugging disgusting people, giving honor to the people that, that are the most, the, the lowest in society. That's what Jesus does when he fishes for men. And if he told his disciples they were going to do that, that's what they were going to be about. So I wonder, late, you know, at this point, they were probably still trying to figure out who's the greatest in the kingdom. But later on, this story probably took a lot more meaning for them when they were actually out there fishing for men. And they probably met a lot of people like the, the, these sons here in this story. I also think that it explains this verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Because I know that sometimes when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a better person. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But in this story, the good people, the ones trying to follow the rules, were outside the feast, were not being filled. The sinners who had come back and repented, they were the ones that got to be filled. The hunger was back in the pig pen. And the son hungered and thirsted for what was back at home. That being in the right place with the right father, and that was a righteousness that he desired, and that's what made him full. The older son was hungering and thirsting after doing the right thing and getting the rewards that come from doing the right thing, and he wasn't full. And so I think this explains that verse uh, for the disciples and for those who were following Jesus, saying when you hunger and thirst after Jesus, it's not about doing activities, it's about being with him. And then I think it illustrates much very difficult statement that Jesus said when he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. As a disciple, you do whatever Jesus does. Jesus bore his cross, you bear your cross. Jesus denied himself, you deny yourself. And part of that is welcoming back the younger son when he comes home. Part of that is being, it's, it's the whole stage, wherever you fit into that story, and you look at the other people and you say, I can't do that. I can't follow Jesus there. Well, this is one of the areas where it's very difficult to follow Jesus when someone is like this comes into your presence and you have to honor them. Because if the older son went into the room, he wouldn't just go into the room. He'd be part of honoring his younger son, the younger brother. That's tough. The crowd may not have known all that happened, but he knew what it was and it, what he wasn't willing to do it. But Jesus, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it included this type of situation. So I'm going to read a story. This, this is a book called From This Verse, which is, uh, takes passages of Scripture and tells true stories that go along with it. And um, this is a story about a guy named Samuel Huddleston. When 13-year-old Samuel Huddleston ran away from home and joined a tough gang, his grieving father fell to his knees. Sammy, he said, I feel sorry for you. You've got a long, hard road to hoe unless you surrender to Jesus soon. But Samuel was too angry to listen, and his father could do nothing but pray. Samuel became an unmarried father at age 16 and soon thereafter began selling drugs. One night in 1971, drunk and frenzied, he and his cousin robbed a liquor store and killed the owner. His father visited him on his first day in jail. Sammy, said the old man, we're in trouble, and I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to make it. We're just praying that Jesus will work it out for your best. Shortly afterwards, Samuel, 17, was sentenced to the penitentiary five years to life. His adjustment to prison was a nightmare, but his father visited frequently, always speaking to him of Christ. Two years later, Samuel began reading his Bible and praying, and one day he invited Christ into his heart. His father, hearing the news, wept. Nineteen years, he said, nineteen years since the day you were born, I've been praying for you. 
Samuel took his new faith seriously and grew quickly in Christ. A year later, he was invited to speak at a nearby church. To his surprise, the prison authorities allowed it. The church was packed. Samuel's father sat halfway back, a huge smile across his face. Samuel turned to Luke 15 and read the story of the prodigal son, saying that despite prison bars, he had found freedom in Christ because neither his heavenly father nor his earthly one had ever given up on him. Samuel was eventually paroled, but he keeps returning to prison as a preacher and reformer whose work has been honored by the President of the United States. His beaming father can't get over it. This, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That father knew the heart of his father and lived it out as a true disciple. And I believe as the audience of disciples that was around Jesus, that's what he wanted them to become like. He said, I'm like this, our Heavenly Father's like this, and you as my disciple need to be like this as well. It's not easy. It's not easy to do that. Now let's think, as before we close and think about ourselves, let's think about the speaker of the story. What knowledge did the speaker have that nobody that listened to the story knew? The speaker was Jesus. First of all, only Jesus there knew how much pain both the older and younger sons inflict upon the father. How much that hurts. Because we're seeing it from the perspective of the sons and the sheep and the coins, but we're not seeing how much pain the father... It doesn't describe in detail how much pain the father had when the younger son went away. How much pain the father had when the older son said, I've slaved for you all these years. But Jesus understood that. As he looked at each of those individuals and their faces, he knew how much pain they had inflicted upon God, whether they're a tax collector, whether they're a Pharisee, and whether they were his own disciples. But yet the story, he doesn't emphasize that in the story because God is all about mercy, grace, and restoration. The second thing that Jesus knew that the, the hearers didn't understand at that point was the sacrifice and suffering involved in seeking and saving the lost. You know, the famous painting of the shepherd with the sheep on the shoulder walking back comes from this story. But the shepherd, in that, you know, you think about that. How much sacrifice does a shepherd have to have to go out in the night and find a sheep in the middle of the wilderness by himself? That's not an easy job. But that pales in comparison to what Jesus had to do to, to seek and save us who are the lost sheep. Or to be able to hug us when we came home. Because of the righteousness of God, we can't come home just because we want to come home. Somebody has to satisfy the righteousness of God for us to be back home with the Father. And Jesus did that. And only he understood how much suffering and sacrifice that would be. But Jesus is also the only one who truly understood and understands how much joy there is in heaven. It says the angels celebrate when one sinner repents. So multiply that by all the sinners who repent around the world. And just imagine the constant joy that's in heaven all the time. And a lot of times when I picture heaven, I picture the Isaiah passage, God on the throne and the, the angels coming around. But it's, I think it's a party all the time up there because just in Thailand, people come to Christ every day. So what about when you're multiplying that out across the world? Jesus understood that as well. So Jesus had that inside knowledge and he communicated a little bit, bit of that to the hearers. But one day... We who hear this story, when we get to be with him in heaven, we're going to see the big picture and it's like, wow, it's so much bigger than we thought. But here's where it comes to for today. Now we're in the audience. I'm in the audience and you're in the audience with Jesus. We've heard the stories. And so the questions to ponder, where do I fit in this parable, these parables? Where am I? Because remember, 
um, what I said about the, at the beginning when I said presentations are useless when they're just words that you hear, you lose 75%. But if you want an effective presentation, it needs to be memorable, actionable, and transferable. This is what that writer said. And I like those three words. Jesus' stories are very memorable. They're easy to remember, and they, they relate to our daily lives. But they're also actionable. Not just you can take action with them. You have to. Jesus' stories here are not the kind that you can say, oh, that was a great story, thanks for sharing. It's something that goes inside of our hearts. And, 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 and whether we're in the place right now where we're the younger son, that we're strayed from the Lord, there might be people here today like that. There might be the self-righteous types here today. Or we might be the disciples that are trying to decide, are we going to go all the way with Jesus or not? But Jesus is setting a standard of, this is where I'm at. This is where God's at. And if you're going to be home with me, we love to have you at home, but this is what people at home are like. And so where do I fit in? And that's something only you can answer with the Lord because none of us know where the rest are at. And the other question that goes along with that is, where do I look for happiness? You know, all of us like to be happy. And what makes you happy? The younger son found his happiness in sinful pleasures until that ran out. The older son was trying to find happiness in rewards, honor that came from working, and when he didn't get that, he was upset, but that's what he was, that's where he was aiming for. But Jesus is saying that true happiness, the party happens in the presence of the Father. And so is that where you're seeking? Is that where I'm seeking my happiness and my joy? So as we, as we think about that today, I would, I would hope that, you know, a lot of us here are missionaries, we're in ministry, and, and a lot of times we tell these stories for other people to hear and other people to benefit from. But I was really convicted as I studied this again that every time we hear this, Jesus has a message for us. And, he, and he's saying, how willing are you to be in my party? How willing are you to, to join in my celebration? Are you willing to, to take all the steps involved to be there? Because it's interesting, isn't it, that the younger son and the older son, they had to make a decision to go in. But after that, everything was arranged from the, by the father. After that, the whole thing was set up by the Father. He told the servants what to do. He decided what to do. And that's how our life is with Jesus. We join him, and then he sets the agenda. He tells us what's going to happen, and we join with that. Sometimes I don't agree with him, and I stand out there arguing with him like the older son. And that's where it hits me when I think about this passage. But where is it touching you today? And then the last one was, it said in that, in that quote I had, it's actionable, and the last one is transferable. The great thing about these stories is you can tell them to anybody. You can tell them to a two-year-old, or you can tell them to the most hardened criminal, and they can have an impact on their lives. There's not a lot of things like that other than the stories of Jesus that can do that. And so I would encourage you today to take what you gain from this new hearing, this new reading of this story, and transfer it to someone else. Pass it on to someone else who needs to hear this today. Not in a judgmental way, but just saying, this is what blessed me and pass it on, and then it'll multiply out. May the Lord bless you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.